0: Ads, schmads. If you don't want ads, that's okay. Choose the Dave McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts. And hey presto, no ads.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
2: And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to sixty percent off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow slash acast. That's burrow slash acast. Burrow.com slash acast.
3: To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature.
0: This podcast is powered by
3: Acast. How you doing there? It is time for the podcast, and we are going to be talking about the joy, John, of mathematics, which I know is something <gasps> that, shiver down my something spine. That, something that I could remember you in school saying, "Oh, I can't wait for a quadratic equation. <laughs> I can't wait for a bit of trigonometry. I can't wait for a bit of Cartesian <laughs> mathematics." But we're going to talk about maths and why so few kids finish school with a feeling for mathematics and why it's such an interesting subject and why of course because this is an economics podcast the foundational one of the foundational tools of economics is measurement obviously yeah. and measurement is clearly a mathematical idea
0: well i tell you in our house we've just finished the mocks the, for leaving still going on? oh yeah no we just finished them last week and then into half term but do you know what's interesting? I was listening to somebody on the radio there talking about the grinds industry, which is massive, yes. absolutely yes. massive. Yes. But apparently it's worth about 100 million euro. I would say euro. easy. I would say easy. And Matt's grinds is the biggest portion of it, apparently.
3: And, you know, I think it is the reason that I think Matt's grinds are in such demand is because the teaching of mathematics, the gap between the syllabus And the teaching of maths seems to be enormous. But Mm. also, it's like everything. It's a bit like economics, right? Is that you have to encourage people to find it interesting. It's that moment, you know, I'm teaching in Trinity now in about next month. And I'm really looking forward to it. And the course on monetary economics. But as a teacher, you know, what is most satisfying is that moment when you see the light bulb going on. In the head of the student. Connections are made. And yeah. you can actually see it physically. When mm. you're up when you're teaching, like, so you go in and you give a lecture, and monetary economics that I teach is it's hard. Like it's tricky and it's difficult and it's technical yeah. and, and and all that sort of stuff, you know, and it's it's not necessarily the most logical part of economics until you grasp it. Yeah. But when you see students grasp it, it's almost as if anxiety leaves their bodies. Right? I'm really serious. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. People are quite tensed up. and They're like, "Well, I get this? Will I fall behind? And if I fall behind, how can I actually catch up? And then you see that moment where you're actually explaining and the heads are nodding. And they're not just nodding because they're nodding off, which does tend to happen, <laughs> right? But they're nodding because they're actually saying, yeah.
0: Yeah, got it, and, got it, got it.
3: And, and, and what I always thought is that the reason that maths... And it's the reason it's such a shame that so few people and kids leave school enjoying mathematics is because maths and understanding maths is actually understanding the evolution of human Mm. thinking. This is what I've always felt. And if they could just put it in that framework that if this clicks in your head, you can see how the world clicked with other people in the past and you can see those great leaps in human progression based on mathematics. You know, I've, I've always thought, you know, What you should teach the kids is that, you know, maths is this tool that allows us to put reason and precision and logic and all those things together, right? Yeah. And that allows you to see the world clearly. You know, it's the idea of you move from superstition to proof, you move from kind of conjecture to fact, and you move from kind of guesswork to certainty. Now, think about these; These are all opening up the world to us, right? Yeah. This idea that you move from conjecture, I kind of half think that, to certainty. This is the way the world is. You move from fiction to fact. You mm. move from this sort of idea of like, even think about in the past, one of the great propellers of human civilization is as we move away from being superstitious about the world to saying, actually, no, this is the world, the world, the way the world works. And yeah. you move from you know, this this idea to, to induce your reasoning and based on mathematics, you can induce things. You can say, well, if this works here and these relationships are stable, yeah. then this relationship... Yeah, you just make all those logical all connections, connections. And yeah. that, that's the basis of... You know, we talked about Copernicus last week in our discussion about the climate change, mm. the Copernicus Institute. Yeah, You know, Copernicus, it's all mathematics. Galileo, it's all... I mean, poor old Galileo, God bless him, you know? You know, he went up against the church for maths, yeah, not for anything else. He went up for maths. He said, "No, no, no, I figured this out, and the Earth doesn't set the rules. The Sun sets the rules, and we yeah. revolve around it."
0: So, but, but I, I remember back in school, like I wasn't brilliant at maths, but I ain't stupid. I can I can understand logic, and it was all down to the teacher. I had a couple of really good teachers, and I did really well. Rafter was one of them. And I had this... There was a Christian brother, because I went to CBC. There was a Christian brother, and I can't think of his name just right now. You
3: went to CBC, you mean you endured CBC? I,
0: I endured CBC. But this brother, he came in, didn't speak a word, he had absolute control over the, the class, which is an it's unusual called, thing. It's called terror. Yeah. No, no, not, he, this guy wasn't a, a terrorist like the others. Yeah. But he had this control over the class, which is an unusual thing for CBC. But he went through a maths class without opening his mouth and just using signs and pointing at people and all the rest and you came out going geez i got that wow it was amazing and then i went into another class for the leaving cert all gone just because of the teaching because there was no as you say those connections those stories the the, the connections
3: and you know the thing is that you know stories are essential as i've always said as we have stories you know When children are crying, we sing them lullabies and we tell them stories to get them to sleep. We don't tell them algebra, right? The last kid I know that dozed off peacefully by doing algebra. They don't exist. So you need to combine storytelling with algebra. Storytelling, and even the story of algebra, right? Algebra, it's like alcohol. It's like Al Jazeera where does it come from? It comes from Arabia. Yeah. Why does it come from Arabia? Like, tell these stories, tell the kids, you know, this algebra comes from Arabia. Why does it come from Arabia? Because the Muslims were miles ahead in mathematics. Why were they miles in mathematics? Because they believe in science and the great period of Muslim enlightenment, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. you speak about the enlightenment and you think, okay, so when all these theories about the enlightenment and the rule of you know, the the rights of man and all this. Where was that coming from? It was coming from a precise understanding of the world. And where was the precision coming from? It was coming from mathematics. So it's this idea that, you know, progress in science and progress in maths is an amazing thing because it's based on not being right but being wrong. So the world of science is full of depressed scientists who thought they were right and then only for it to be, impose on them that they were wrong. But it's that idea is that being wrong is how you learn scientifically. Mm. And this is a wonderful thing. And science and scientific communities and mathematics communities have understood that there's a sort of, I don't know, it's a sort of a, the end game in maths has to be almost failure. It's like every great career ends in failure. Every great mathematical idea ends in failure if it's not the truth. Yeah. So if it's still been So that's what I want to talk about today.
0: Yes, indeed. And
3: we're going to talk about maths with Colm O'Regan, the comedian who has his own mathematics podcast called The Function Room. So let's go into the mathematics class and talk to Colm O'Regan.
0: Okay, settle down, everyone, settle down. (laughs) Mac Williams, stop your nonsense. Davis, get to the back.
3: Colm, how are you? Good to see you.
4: I'm very good. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks for that lovely uh, intro. The only thing we can't verifiably prove is the thinker bit. Everything else is uh, actual <laughs> evidence, but I'll take it. And yeah, so I'm a living proof by hosting a maths podcast that if you can find a niche small enough <laughs> and, and occupy it, I am that little bit of moss that grows. <laughs> in in the dark, in a cave somewhere, I have no idea how far it will spread. Maybe I'll be very much a ecological niche, but at least it's mine, and that's where I'm. That's where well, I am. Well,
3: um, let's talk because I wrote a piece about a year ago on the joy of mathematics, right? And I've always been amazed by the fact that this, the history of maths, the story of maths, is the story of humanity. It is the story of progress. It's the story of civilization. And yet, column in school, I would say seventy percent, maybe 80 percent of kids leave school feeling maths is not for them. So let us make it for them. Start the story. Start the story.
4: Well, for me, the the thing is maths is either, look, just stick with it for this bit and it'll be handy for college or (laughs) look at all the jobs you can get. And there's such expediency, but there's a, a huge swathe of children who either are struggling with it now or don't want to get jobs in it, right? Yeah. So what are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to wait while everybody else gets the answer right? And I just think that we should be telling more people the stories, the drama, the kind of intrigue that goes with it. Like, you know, murders, duels, the backdrop of history, the the human motivations for things. Now, it doesn't mean it was all as fascinating. You know, early maths and Babylonians was probably just making sure you weren't being cheated when somebody was weighing out the grain or, you know, measuring areas of land for tax purposes. But like, if you look at something like, I don't know, Pythagoras, you know, all we hear about him is that it was a triangle. Yeah. And he was effectively a cult leader.
3: No way. No way. he
4: He had his own religion and his religion was based on the absolute harmony of the planet's that, you know, the orbits made music, music whose pitch was so perfect, the human ear couldn't hear it. Everything for him hinged on the fact that numbers were perfect, that every single number could be expressed as a fraction, like one over three or two over three. And his followers, this was, I think, after he died, his followers were so enthused with this. And it has parallels in, in present time. They couldn't tolerate the idea of mad stuff popping up in numbers. So, for example, there's one legend of a guy called Hippasus who he's messing around with a right angle triangle, and he says, "As you of the, the square, you know, the square of one side." This is the kind of hungover stuff before there was WWF in the mornings. <laughs> orange, a hungover Saturday morning, you might be messing around with triangles in the sand. And he was, you know, this is the legend, right? That you take draw a triangle where one side is one, one side is the other, then what's the diagonal bit? 1 squared plus 1 squared which is 2 and then the length is the square root of 2 right and they said what's the square root of 2 uh, that must be a fraction of two numbers and he kept on working it out and he discovered it couldn't be expressed as a fraction so the legend was that the followers of pythagoras were so upset that he'd found a number that went on forever and also couldn't be expressed as anything they could conjure with that they murdered him to keep it a secret or even if they didn't murder him, that's one legend, that they tried to keep the idea, this heresy of numbers, a secret. Other people say it was because he managed to inscribe a dodecahedron in a circle. But the whole point is that these kind of dramas are going on around dusty old triangles, you know, that heretical ideas would come in in numbers and all through history and this isn't just about Galileo. Like, mathematicians would come up with something and people would say, no, that's heresy. That can't be yes, right. Yes, exactly. You know? And I just think, like, look, 14-year-old young lad or young young girl might give a shite about the legend of Hipposys necessarily because their lives are completely faced in another direction. And they're just like, you're keeping me in school for too long already. I really don't want to have time to listen to an extra legend. But what I find, it's about making something memorable. Like if there's a story associated with it, sometimes that can be the hook that helps you remember. That's what stories are for me, is memory. Like I can still remember. I did loads of maths for years. And I can still remember the one thing that happened in May of Leaving Cert, where you got to do a bit of interesting stuff, how to tell how long a body has been dead for using Newton's law of cooling. Do you know what I mean? Like I was like, you waited until may of sixth year to tell me about csi you know what i mean like what what, like tell me that at the start and say in a few years time i'm going to teach you how you know how long a body has been cooling for how long somebody's been dead for or you know when should you put the milk in like you make a cup of tea the tea bags in somebody rings the doorbell should you put the milk in now or should you wait until you come back and put the milk in? This is assuming you're not a pervert and don't put the milk in first, right? Which is so, yeah, yeah, or a German. Which is true. So the, so the answer is you put the milk in straight away because tea cools proportional to the difference between the heat of the tea and the heat of the room. So if you put the milk in now, it'll cool slower than if you wait. So that kind of stuff, like, <laughs> do pretty- you know what I mean? Like, why isn't there five minutes in a class the- for stories like that?
3: I know, just give it over. So <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go right, right back. We did a podcast last summer, and John was very intrigued as to why I started the podcast in Belgium. So I go to the Belgium Museum of Natural Sciences. But in this museum, column is a thing called the Ashango Bone.
4: Yes, and the Ishango
3: yeah. Bone is dates from about twenty thousand years ago, and it was discovered in what is now the Democratic Republic of Congo, and it is a tally stick, allegedly or some sort of mathematical idea. And the idea is that people have been thinking about mathematics and counting and probability and risk and recurring numbers for thousands of years. Now, why the leaving certain Ireland, or whether in the UK or in America, wherever you're listening from, doesn't start with this idea that, you know, on the banks of the Congo River 20,000 years ago, humans, the very early iterations of us we're thinking about mathematics. Why don't we teach it that way?
4: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't even think a huge overhaul of the syllabus, but at least start with that. And just picking up on those shin bones and they may have been like, whether it was prime numbers or something that they were trying to count. But even African villages, the pattern of buildings within the traditional African villages, people have found fractals in them, hair braiding. like Tell me about hair braiding. Yeah. The patterns in hair braiding have been used to encode messages like there was a a, a fugitive population in Colombia of afro indigenous or afro cuban or afro colombian people fleeing would sometimes in order to communicate would would, would encode into braids this is from emma daberry's no book no don't no touch way. my hair you know some sort of messages and the kind of whole paradigm of the maths of africa has been completely wiped clean because we're completely, focused on yeah. the greeks i start with a story about a greek you know and it's a shame because you don't know how many different types of brain of kid are going to school who might find trigonometry impossible, but might really latch on to the idea of repeating patterns yep. in an African village or whatever. And this doesn't have to be a massive, like, we are all one people and... Let's all hold hands or anything like that. It's just a practical thing. There are different types of Don't worry, brain. I
3: won't accuse you of being excessively woke. Uh <laughs> yeah, so I'll, it's okay. I'll take it, but Will it's you just, take it. I don't know, you know, know what you mean. I, I'm just but trying I...
4: to, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to hold on to the um the the angry man section of your podcast. <laughs> 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 you are a vital listener, a vital subscriber. Um but I do think like, you know, when you think about what you remember, like trying to un- acknowledging that. Putting a setting aside a little bit of time to acknowledge the different types of brain, and that people appreciate stories, and it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be Africa. Like we have a fellow here in Ireland, William Rowan Hamilton, who discovers you know he's out for a walk, yep, comes up with a mathematical idea, graffiti's it onto a bridge so that he doesn't forget because he's this is in a few hundred years ago, and that idea is used in mechanics, computer graphics. You know, it's 3D complex numbers. We won't go into it. But, you know, but what's interesting about him is he and Wordsworth, William Wordsworth, who's also on the feck and Leaving Cert Syllabus, you know, why do we make those links? He used to communicate. This fellow loved poetry. And Williams Wordsworth read his poems and said, your poems are OK, but I'd concentrate on the maths. You're a much better mathematician, <laughs> you know. So it's those kind of those kind of connections that can make the whole of the Leaving Cert interesting. You know, we're studying Williams Wordsworth in a poem, Tintern Abbey. Yes, And we're studying complex numbers that afternoon. I think you'd remember both of them better if you knew that the two people involved were used to write to each other. You know, they had human connection. So as I say, not become obsessed with, you know, study maths. There's loads and loads of jobs about it. Like, forget the jobs. The jobs will come if you're interested in it. It's yes. more like, you know, tell us about the mad bastards. Tell us about, yeah. you know, Ever-East Galois. Tell me about ever Galois. Yeah, like he he worked out group theory, which is sort of a little bit like sets. So he did a version of that group theory, which is used in material science. But he was like a mad revolutionary who was constantly. Who was it? When, when, when was he living? This where? was in the early 19th century. And he was a Republican who would have, you know, at various times found himself on the wrong side of the law. And he knows he's got a duel the following day. Right, he figures he might die. So he stays up all night writing every bit of maths he knows in letters to people. Do you know what I mean? So instead of, instead of a long Facebook post going, you know, <laughs> yeah, nothing yeah. but snakes on here, you know, <laughs> and everybody going PM me, hun, like he's writing like, like everything that that's in his brain about group theory, which is something that we use now in material science and how molecules are put together. And the mad thing about these men and women is they're working sometimes in a vacuum. They don't even know what the stuff's going to be used for. Exactly. But it turns up in, in mad places. So they must be daydreamers in some sense, right? Obviously, they're very talented. But there are daydreamers in school who just minds wander and feel shut out of, of a maths class. And again, look, this is a lament. Maybe it's futile. Maybe no, any teacher would futile. come back and say, no, it's not you know, futile. You, know you, you, you try and teach 30 kids in an underfunded school And I'm not I don't have enough English language supports and I don't have enough SNA supports and all that kind of thing. So fine, I'll take any L on preaching from my position of of privilege and knowing nothing. But I'm just saying, like, there is there's funny, interesting, mad stories there that could be could be included.
3: There are amazing stories. I mean, the Ashango Bone strikes me as the beginning of a process of discovery. But the greater idea, Column, is the notion that mathematics is precise and precision leads us from conjecture and superstition into rationality and to a degree into truth so the progress of mathematics is also the progress of us humans dispensing with notions of myths and notions of superstition and moving to the rational and once you move to the rational column we're moving to what I would describe as a future orientated society rather than a backwardly orientated society. So, for example, I was I was always intrigued when I went to university. People who studied the classics, right, and studied Roman history and, and Greek history, and all even though we start with the Greeks, they're kind of terrorized by the past. And yeah. then you, if you actually listen to the mathematicians and economics, the mathematician side was really I always found really interesting, but they're actually embracing the future all the time. Because yeah. they're moving what you could maybe describe from deductive reasoning to inductive reasoning. And inductive reasoning is the actual future. And so why do you think we don't tell kids, okay, we're going to give you a set of tools that is going to allow you to induce the future. And those tools are based on mathematical relationships. They're based on engineering. They're based on precision. Why do you think we don't do that? Like the kids, can like in the first year in school, the teachers can come in and say, I'm going to teach you a new way of understanding the world.
4: I suppose maybe the first thing is that maybe the teachers themselves haven't got that training in order to impart it. You know, like they follow a training course and they follow their own syllabus. Yeah. The other thing is, the whole thing is hinged on exam points, college and job because jobs, you know, if you work backwards from jobs back to school, it's almost like a a backwards thing where how do you define whether you're qualified for a job? You have to get a degree. What does that degree contain the following subjects? How do you get to study those subjects? You need to be good enough at a particular exam in order to get in. I mean, turning the question on its head slightly in terms of progress, we, we have done it with like reading, like in the sense that we equip people to read, you know, we teach them building blocks of reading language and then we don't say now, no, okay, we mandate that these are the books you read for the exam, but people are free to read in their own time. And people read all the time. Even people who don't read, who never read before, now read because people, everybody read subtitles on Netflix or people are texting so much now, far more than ever wrote letters. So people are literally reading and writing more than ever. So we have huge democratization of reading. And maybe the approach is... Something similar with maths. I mean, or it's like music. I remember a great analogy. There's a guy called Keith Devlin, a brilliant mathematician and communicator, talks about if we taught music the way we teach maths, no child would ever hear a song, or would ever sing. Yeah, mean,
0: you know mean, what
3: I mean? I explain that to me. Explain that. Well, to
4: me. in maths, we tend to teach the note like so. Basically, we teach music. People would just learn off the notes, and they'd learn, they'd read sheet music, yeah, and they'd work out. You know the rhythm and the harmony and all that from reading the sheet music, as the opposed notes to opposed to front of them, putting in the headphones, as opposed to yeah, as opposed to singing or writing songs. So yeah.
3: both you and I quite liked sums in school. In fact, I've I've a, a story about a friend of mine who went to Wesley Disco, and uh, <laughs> her very very first slow set was a fellow in my class whose nickname was Function because he was very good at maths. Yeah. And he wasn't really the most, let's say, expressive fella. Wouldn't be a fella known for his one-liners or his chat-up lines. And he asked this particular girl, who may be listening to the podcast, so I won't name her because I've known her for many, many years. The slow set, I think, was Nights in White Satin by... Oh, right, uh, okay. Yeah, it was a very, very fine slow set at Wesley. Yeah,
4: the everything I do, I do it for you of its day. Of its day, yes. exactly. Yeah. It was yeah. the wedding yeah.
3: song of its day. And I'm actually going to yeah. tell you a story about that wedding song which was basically somebody, the everything I do, I do for you was Brian Adams, which was the and Michael
0: Kamen. Yes. With
3: more uh, the theme of Robin Hood. Yeah. You yeah. might remember. And a friend of mine uh, got married, and his wife asked for the Robin Hood song. And what <laughs> they, walked, I know what's going on here. they walked down the aisle to the very little sort of. I would say Edwardian, the 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 early Elizabethan thing of Robin Hood and his Merry Men. Oh yes, <laughs> which was <laughs> which was slightly inappropriate for the wedding, where yeah. she had expected everything. I do, I do for you, yeah. and they got. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to tell you about that. So the slow set arrives, and Sarah, who's now been named, uh, gets up to dance with Function, and Function, and his opening line says, "Do you like sums?" Which was his <laughs> <chat up> line. <laughs>
0: That's a killer line. A,
4: it's a great line. So yeah. let's let's go back. So and, and he, he didn't even have a cheesy two-parter to that. That was no, that was it. No,
3: yeah. it was open-ended. Yeah. It was open-ended. Yeah. Do you like sums? And Sarah said in her head, or in her fifteen-year-old head, can I kiss him? Uh, no, <laughs> poor old function never got kissed. So let's go back to the idea of function. First year, second year in school. What do we do? The likes of you and I quite liked sums when we were kids. What do we do, column to? enthused people, enthuse students for this extraordinary, what I would call journey of discovery that is mathematics.
4: I think we do, as what you were mentioning earlier, we, we stand up and tell them where, where this goes, how like a little, you know, this is, like we, we actually say how amazing this is. Now, I'm sure teachers do this already, no, but no teacher at, at the start of any class. I think it's the book so we open the page at page one, and we I think we open a maths book at page one. And I just don't think we open, we should open a maths book on day one, because the maths book typically, if I remember correctly, has like an X and Y coordinate on it, or it has A intersection B. It has like symbols that we don't really, we haven't connected with. X's and Y's can be fun kind of thing, but it, it, and I'm not talking about a glossy maths book with, because sometimes you come up to uh, science books and it's like, science is the study of things are. And then, like, page two, Newton, you know, like, there's not much, <laughs> yeah. there's not much transition there.
0: No foreplay.
3: No foreplay. Yeah.
0: Speaking,
4: yeah, speaking of function,
3: be... I suspect his foreplay <laughs> exactly. wasn't the best. His, his pattern wasn't any good. I sus- his angles <laughs> might have been good. His but, angles, but yeah. I'd
4: say his geography. <laughs> his QED was the only, the only thing he had going for him. So I'd say the first couple of classes are. Guest lecturers, you know, because sometimes what happens is you wait till transition year before you go to a fun thing, or and on Maths Week is a very good thing. It happens every year, and you know they broadcast live to students around the country and all that. But September first, September second, get some guest mathematicians in, people who talk about. Like it's no point me talking about it. I'm a spoofer, right? I don't. I'd see me coming a mile off. I'd eventually start blushing when they'd know I was talking. Uh, shite but that that maths and communication go hand in hand and that your job as a mathematician actually is a big chunk of it is talking about maths to other people because it is a collaborative thing so that first few weeks is almost nothing but just fascination you know and then eventually you open the book and you go right this is going to seem a bit dry by comparison and so that you don't alienate people straight away maybe people come out of Primary school, already feeling fallen behind. I
3: think you're you're right. I think they do. I think they do. They come out of primary school and think, okay, I can go into the yard here and play football or I can go on our phones. The idea that I will spend any amount of my time figuring out mathematics is an anathema to most kids. And just before we go, a mathematical society, let's just kind of zoom out a wee bit. To what extent is a mathematical society, a rational society, a precise, a logistical, a logical society, is there evidence that those types of societies generate more economics, more growth, more wealth, that sort of idea? I mean, is it also fundamental to who we are?
4: Well, I would say that a society where there is room for different types of thinkers, where, you know, different types of brains where people feel included and among those skills is different types of, of studying maths because I think you need to leave room for like because logic can be used perniciously as well too like yes. hyper rationality can be used to the detriment of other forms of expression and also we treat maths as existing alone whereas you know philosophy and maths have huge connections arts and maths music and maths does you see this kind of, you know, sociology is applied biology. Uh, biology is applied chemistry. Chemistry is applied physics. Physics is applied mathematics. And mathematics then is your,
3: your foundational document.
4: Yeah. I didn't see that diagram until <laughs> last week. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas if I was in school, connecting all of the subjects, knowing that there is room, that, that maybe not being good at sums, but being good at, like poetry has meter and maths in it, do you know what I mean? Yep. Like being good at biology is standing on a layer of cells, the interactions of which depend on chemical equations, the bonds of which are defined by physics. All like you know, knowing that that my interest has a place. Like if the school curriculum mimics, supposed to mimic life, that we're shown the connections between them, such that if I feel I don't have the type of brain for maths, and I'd be listening to say, listening to this podcast saying, that's a load of bollocks. I'm not that type of person. That's fine. But if you don't feel excluded, and I think I'd take it from your column, and it's a big thing of mine, what a waste of human capital it is and human happiness and time that people feel excluded from a society. So let's say the society you talk about, which where logic and rationality is prized and mathematical literacy is important, but that it's a type of literacy are importance where it's inclusive, that it's smart enough to know that people who can't add two and two might be very good at visualizing the fifth dimension. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that they're like sorry I'm obviously you know gone off into all sorts of tangents. No, uh, keep going. pardon the pun, but it's that because we have it constrained by your ability to get an answer right for an exam. And obviously, you know, metrics are important in order to get to different areas, but particularly maths, we seem to define people as in you're either good at it or you're not, you know. And and we study, as I say, we study Wordsworth and it's like Tintern Abbey isn't great at using the metaphors. Oh,
3: he's great. He loved,
4: he loved geometry. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He also loved triangles. He wrote about Euclid and all that. And you could say, oh, doesn't a very smart fella at all things. No, but he had a type of brain that could appreciate both. And I think there's lots of those types of brains out there. He might have been shit at maths, but he But liked it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like he liked it, and I think that's where the stories create paths in your brain where you remember things and you care. You maybe you laugh at a funny story involving maths, Brr, possible. Um, but at the very least, you've made those connections such that maybe in the long dark night of the soul, studying for the Leaving Cert, the next time you see something to do with complex numbers, you remember that the fellow who was big into them used to write to Wordsworth and really wanted to be a poet. The Wordsworth said. I'd I, I knock the old poetry on the head, you know, but that's a human story. And then, you know, things get parachuted in like pie, pie just turns up and nobody says why it keeps turning up. It's just taken. And I think that's the kind of exclusive bit that sometimes maths feels like a conversation that's halfway in train as you walk into the room.
3: Yes, you're absolutely right.
4: And then you spend the rest of your time in the room slash six years in school trying to figure out what everyone was talking about. And that's where I think the key may be to unlocking human, human potential of kids who feel locked out of traditional methods of measuring how smart they are, that at least if they've had some time saying, I failed the exam, I got a whatever an E is called now, but I do remember I loved the stories, you know, and, and, that's sufficient. and they don't waste so much time in the rest of their life saying, well, I won't do anything to do with maths because remember how it a bad experience was. They'll go, oh. I remember loving the stories. Maybe I am interested in that kind of thing. And maybe that's the bare minimum.
3: Well, that's where we're going to leave it. It's the bare minimum column, O'Regan. Wonderful stuff. Brilliant. Thanks for that. Exactly, and comical. And And comical, comical. yeah. Yeah, yeah, But
0: you know, when he was talking about maths and music, which, of course, you know, they're, they're one of the same thing, almost. But I always loved David Byrne from Talking Heads. His quote, which is similar, it's related to this, when he said that, you know, writing about music is like dancing about architecture. It's completely <laughs> I meaningless. It.
3: I love it. So when you so say... The... <laughs> all you music journalists out there, you've you've been slapped down by David Byrne. No, but it. it's, it's it's true. We're we'll it. I mean, I just think that the, the lesson, the takeaway, to use that great American expression, is that try to make maths relevant to kids. So link it to anthropology, link it to history, link to the evolution of human thought, yeah. all that sort of yeah. stuff. Because that's what really... Guess people, it's, it's the color behind it, you know. And if you can take kids away from just the non contextual sterility of equations right, mm. and give them a backstory. I think that's... I think colour is actually the right term. Yeah, you need colour. You like, It's like in podcasting, John, you need colour and everything. Yeah. And before we go, let's plug a few of Columns' gigs. Absolutely. Columns playing in Dolan's in Limerick, 14th of March. Tickets at columoregan.com. He's also playing The King's Head in Galway. And I know Colum because he works with me a lot mm. on Kilkenomics. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, he's March great. 21st, St. John's Theatre, Listole. March 23rd, and Cochrans in Cork, April 11th. So it's columnoregan.com if you want to talk about maths, humour, comedy, or the world. And we will talk to you in a couple of days.